Hello, everyone. This is Paul Aronowitz, Health Sciences Clinical Professor of Medicine at UC Davis School of Medicine. And uh, the following recording you're about to hear is something that I had been hoping to do for quite some time uh, with the basic goal of tapping into the various talented people who do presentations at AIM meetings, uh, and AIM includes clerkship directors of internal medicine, association of program directors of internal medicine, association of subspecialty professors of medicine, administrators in medicine, and the uh, chairs of medicine, also known as the association of uh, APM, association of professors of medicine. And there's a lot of great stuff that goes on at these meetings. And for quite some time, I felt like uh, we weren't totally tapping into all that talent and all these great presentations. So earlier this summer, in 2019, I presented this idea to the Clerkship Directors of Internal Medicine Council, and they were quite enthusiastic about this project. So without further ado, uh, this is the first episode in what I hope will be a series of these interviews, and I hope you learn a lot and that you can uh, become a better teacher and educator and everything else that goes with that uh, going forward after you listen to this podcast. And I want to thank our three guests who joined me in this interview. And again, I want to thank the officers in CDIM Council, as well as the entire council for encouraging this. And finally, I do also want to apologize for the quality of this recording. Uh, I've uh, <laughs> some technologic bugs to get out in terms of these interviews by phone. I couldn't figure out how to get my desktop phone speaker to work so that the uh, my guests could actually hear me. So I had to resort to an iPhone speakerphone, which is why the sound quality is not the best. But I hope that you'll overlook the sound quality for the excellent content that these three special guests have brought to this podcast. Thank you, and please enjoy this podcast, and have a good day. I want to welcome all podcast listeners to this, the first of its kind interview that I've done. And this is going to be an interview with the workshop creators of a workshop called Climate Changers, Practical Strategies for Intentionally Building Better Learning Climates. And this is a workshop that was presented in the spring 2019 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, at the Alliance for Academic Internal Medicine. And all three presenters today are from Emory University School of Medicine in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, Kimberly Manning, J. Richard Pittman, and Stacy Higgins. And so I'm going to ask them to introduce uh, each of themselves. Uh, Kimberly first, take it away. Hi, um, my name is Kimberly Manning. Um, thank you so much for having us here today. Uh, I am... I call myself a generalist hospitalist, and I have been on the faculty at Emory University School of Medicine since 2001. I am based at Grady Memorial Hospital, and um, in addition to working with our residency leadership team specifically, I work as the program director for the transitional year of about 24 residents and also serve as our Associate Vice Chair for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion in the Department of Medicine. I'm excited to be here. And I also noticed that you, are you dual boarded in, uh, in medicine and pediatrics? 
Yeah, so my training is internal medicine and pediatrics, and up until about 14, 2014, I maintained my pediatrics board certification, um, but since I exclusively focus on internal medicine and general internal medicine, um, now I'm boarded in internal medicine only. Excellent. And uh, Richard? Yeah. Uh, hey, Paul. Uh, Richard Pittman. Um, I'm also a general internist. I work at Grady uh, primarily as a hospitalist. And I see myself as a teaching physician um, since being at Emory I'm in my 10th year there. Um, I ran the clerkship, the third year clerkship for seven years. And then the last year and a half or so, I've been uh, running the, the sub-internship. And uh, my passion is to just see how we can uh, help our le learners learn better. Um, and, yeah, I, I, my classrooms are for the sub-interns. Um, I've gotten to do a residentist teacher's course um, over the past year and a half with the residents, and then just being on the, on the wards four months out of the year. Excellent. And Stacy. Uh, hi, this is Stacy Higgins. I have been at Emory since 1999. I'm currently a professor of medicine and work primarily, all of my clinical work is at Grady Memorial Hospital. I'm the director of the primary care residency program. I've been doing that since 2006. And I'm also an advisor in our society system here at the School of Medicine. And so my learners are both undergraduate and graduate medical education. And I do mostly outpatient, but also do two months of inpatient uh, each year. Excellent. Well, I, I think the uh, things that you guys are invested in working in there at Emory, I would love to ask you a lot more questions about those things. But we're going to try and keep this uh, podcast to a reasonable length because I have a theory that uh, people's attention spans tend to wane after about 20 minutes or so on podcasts. So we're going to stay focused on our topic today, which I have to say... Uh, just to, the title again was Climate Changers, Practical Strategies for Intention, Intentionally Building Better Learning Climates. I love the title of this workshop. It's very timely for so many reasons. Uh, and I have to ask you guys, who thought of this title? <laughs> What's it be? <laughs> um, this is Kimberly. Yeah, it was my idea, but I will say as a disclaimer that um, if... I ever quit my day job, I'll just sit around and come up with titles for workshops at academic meetings. It's a hobby. <laughs> well, kudos to you. I really, uh, I really love the title. I was sad that I couldn't be at this workshop. I left, um, the, I guess, early in the morning of the day that the workshop was presented. And I should also add for our podcast audience that it was one of the most highly rated workshops of a lot of excellent workshops and plenary sessions at the AIM meeting. Um, but uh, definitely one of the best titles that I saw as I was perusing uh, people that I would like to interview for these podcasts. Kimberly, can you uh, begin by telling me why we're even talking about this topic of the learning environment and why the learning environment is such a vexing topic for so many institutions in medical education? Well, you know, we talk about it a lot amongst ourselves, um, for starters, just in real time for those of us working um, in many settings, whether it be the outpatient setting, the inpatient setting, um, like Stacy and myself who work as small group advisors in small group learning environments. Um, there's always this point where all of your hard work and preparation can be thrown off the rails 
because the learning climate isn't great. Or there's a learner with whom you're working and you'd like to bring out the best in them, but um, you're struggling to give authentic, meaningful feedback because perhaps there's not psychological safety or people just don't feel comfortable uh, in the room as you're getting ready to try to be honest and you know, just do the good work that we're trying to do. And so, um, though um, I, I cracked a joke about the title of this, um, I will say that it is a conversation that um, myself and Richard and Stacey, we've had many, many times together before as we're just trying to figure out how to prime our teams um, and our, our learners for us to do you know, for us to really um, make them want to be there and make sure that we want to be there too. Um, I think we're talking about this also because it's it's low-hanging fruit, and I think it's one of those things that um, it's just such a simple thing that if we just put a little bit more intention behind it, um, it could just be a much better experience, not just for the learners, but also for the teachers. It's it's interesting to me that um, it is uh, a major area of questioning on the, I think it's the double AMC that does the uh, graduation questionnaire, and then also um, the LCME seems very focused on it when they come through visiting schools. Uh, It hasn't gotten quite as much attention from the uh, residency review Committee for Internal Medicine and the ACGME, but I, I suspect that's coming at some point soon, given its focus on medical schools. Have you had a lot of people contacting you since you've done this workshop about your workshop or the contents? Um, I, I don't think so. Um, we haven't really had that many people one-on-one reach out to us, but what we will say is we had a very strong and positive response at uh, the AIM meeting, and also we did a version of this, this same workshop at the national um, meeting for the Society of General Internal Medicine, and interestingly, in that for that one, we again got placed in the very last position, the very last workshop of the, of the entire meeting, and it was still well attended, and um, people found the information to be useful and meaningful. Um, so. We have gotten a lot of positive feedback, and I will will say, though, that um, when I've talked about some of the practical things that we discuss in our workshop and amongst each other, when I've talked about these things on Twitter, they've they've actually been some of the the highest um, levels of uh, response from, from Twitter followers. I think people in medical education and on, you know, in our community, they want to talk about this. But sometimes um, we just don't know how. Hmm. Well, we're going to talk about it today. So I wanted wanted to, uh, Stacy, if you could summarize the gist of what the workshop the three of you did at the AIM meeting, and what was it trying to accomplish for attendees? And sort of in a nutshell, what 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 was the content of the workshop? So I think what we were really trying to accomplish is to, to think about what is sometimes intangible when you are with your learners and really making that tangible, that, that unspoken, why is my teaching not going well? Why are my learners not engaged? And really having us think about, well, what is the environment that you're delivering that teaching? And it's not only about delivering facts or going to the bedside and demonstrating a physical exam skill but really thinking about where are my learners today, 
how can I better engage them? How can I let them know where I am as well? And, and what's the, the climate that we're operating in to make sure that everyone is really thinking about optimal ways to learn? And so I would say that's our over, that was our overall objective, to really make people think about this as one of the key elements in teaching. What is the environment that your learners are in? We also wanted them to be able to walk away with some tangible tips on how to do that because it's great and you're very enthusiastic when you're at a national meeting and surrounded by people who are thinking similar to what you are and then to go back home and you have all of the challenges and pressures of your everyday and surrounded by people who did not attend that workshop. What are some of the tangible things that you can pull out and apply with your learners right then and there? And share with other faculty who may be interested but didn't have the opportunity to go to the workshop. So what can you teach them as well? Um, and so I would say those were our two major things that we were focusing on. Um, I don't know if you guys think there were other things, but I would say those were the main two. Yeah, I think one big part of it too is we wanted to, you know, as we were teaching about learning climate, we also wanted to embody that as well. Right. And so that as you walked in there, the feel of what it was like to be in the room. In fact, we actually, because we were the last one, we asked permission to mess up all the chairs and to turn them more in clusters than in lines. <laughs> uh, and it was interesting to watch people as they came in the room. They didn't know what to do. Uh, but after we taught a little bit, we actually wanted them to practice, you know, to practice with each other, to have a moment of what it felt like. To, and, and basically also just say, hey, it's not difficult to bring in some of these questions with your teams. Uh, and even the, even in a short time, even in a practice or situational uh, a simulation, uh, you could still get a lot out of it. And I, I think that, so again, one of embodying what we were trying to talk about. Yeah, if I could just add on to that, it was very meta because we assigned each other before the attendees came in some roles. Like everybody talk to someone, find something that you connect individually with them about and then during the workshop we were able to work those things in and then we let them know what we did and they were like whoa that was really easy and it helped them to feel connected to us and to each other within the workshop and i think I, and i just want to clarify that what stacy's saying is that the three of us before people even walked into the room it was our plan to build our own learning climate first so they would walk in and we would talk to them and say oh hi Oh, you're from Oregon? Oh, oh, I know so-and-so from Oregon. Or I just visited Oregon um, and things like that. I, I, I want to just add one thing that um, Richard said when we were doing the workshop, um, which I hadn't really thought that much about when we were first planning the workshop. I think our intention was for um, clinician educators to step into learning climates and us build a better learning climate for learners to be happy. But... Um, Richard often talks about that um, in a really good learning climate, the learners want to be there, but um, the teacher wants to be there too. And I think um, now I find myself thinking a lot about this, this building of the learning climate, it's not just for you, it's for me too. I do a better job when I'm excited to be there, when I'm happy to be there, when, when I feel psychologically safe to say, oh man, I don't know that answer, or, um, or that, hey, today I'm flying on one wing. Um, I think um, we it, it's it's so learner centered to the point that you know I think until I heard Richard say that a few times that I recognized wait a minute I'm a learner too I'm a participant in this environment too and how I feel it should matter here too. That that is so interesting to hear because I just came off a two week stint on the inpatient wards and I had a 
highly functional team, great resident. She was a great manager, very nurturing of the students, two third years, two interns, a fourth year, um, and our our pharmacy uh, resident. And it's interesting, as I was looking through your slides, um, I realized there's so many things that I could have been doing better, as much fun as I had and as much as I looked forward to coming in, despite working, a, really ends up being about a 19-day stretch, you know, when you add on the five work days before we come on service. Um, but as I was looking through, through your slides, I was struck in your slides that there were lots of photos of smiling faculty and learners, um, mostly in groups looking highly functional. Um, And not having been at the workshop, I'm assuming that the path to having those functional, happy, and productive teams is in something called your enhance approach. Um, And Richard, I was wondering if you could take a couple minutes to explain the enhance and And also to answer a question I had that I should have looked up in Webster's dictionary is, is, is this a mnemonic or is it an acronym? Um, So if you could, and then if you could explain what it stands for, and I was going to have each of you go through a couple letters of that enhance to explain how to apply it in your own teaching environment. Sure. We had to look up, look it up as well. Acronym Catastasia was the correct one on this. This falls in the acronym category because um, they are the abbreviations of the first word. Um, So enhance stands for engage, note, hear, adjust, needs, check in, and explore. So we'll kind of walk through each of those. So this tool was really um, designed to to be something tangible, um, we, we use many, this is not an exhaustive list, it doesn't include a lot of the, all the things that we do, but it was really meant to say, here's, as we think through the process of trying to engage our team, and again, the word intentional uh, is, is something that Kimberly's been talking about for a long time, that even if we don't, as you said, I didn't do it all right with my team, but, but intentionality uh, is appreciated and can make a big difference. Uh, so, so we wanted to and really, Kim came up with the, not only is she good at titles, she's also good at acronyms, it turns out. And I so thought she, I was good at mnemonics, but I just learned that I'm good at Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So mnemonics may have nothing to do, so, Stacey, do you want to do it? So mnemonics, uh, basically, like, if you remember in mathematics, uh, the order, if you want to remember the orders of operations, please, my dear Aunt Sally. So those words have nothing to do with the meaning of what you're trying to say, but it helps you remember it's a memory tool. Okay. There you go. <laughs> now this could be an example of something you might use in the enhance, like engage. Uh, so in, in, in the first letter of the, of the acronym, uh, is to engage learners with intentional discussion points, key unrelated to work. And, and, and this gives you a lot of freedom and can be a lot of fun. And I think about it on a busy day, I may be able to help the learners transport themselves from things that are difficult or exhausting to think about their favorite restaurant or their favorite food or what's the last song you listen to on repeat. Uh, but it's a way many of us do like a, a biography round to get to know each other on the first day. But it occurred to me is like that's not enough and a lot of times there's other things to talk about there. And so I don't the goal was how do we continue getting to know each other better in this? Um, and and it turns out this concept of, of talking about things not related to work is related to a term Kimberly mentioned a minute ago called psychological safety. Um, and I first learned about it in reading a 
New York Times Magazine about Google's research on what makes teams functional. And rather than go into detail about that, I'll just cite that as if, if, you, if you Google, again, this is meta, Google, Google teams uh, and, and the word psychological safety, there's some really cool stuff there. Actually, would you mind just briefly talking about what they do at Google to create these high, highly functional teams? Because yeah. I, I think this is, I mean, we we're, we hear all the time about these big tech companies, but I think yeah. this is very interesting. Yeah. And so, so, again, Google was trying to figure out, okay, what would make the optimal team? And so they, they hired, um, I guess, industrial psychologists, or there's another, another term like that, too. To, to study all these different things that included like motion tracking, uh, who talked most in meetings and all these kind of things. And, and so kind of after, again, enter millions and millions of dollars of research and kind of shaking out what they found was that, and this, these are a couple of quotations that are on our slides, what distinguished good teams from dysfunctional ones was how the teammates treated each other. Uh, and I don't think from this work this term was born, but it was talked about is that psychological safety is when uh, a shared belief held by all the team members that it's, the team is safe to take risks with each other. And one of the ways that they measured that was when teams, um, more people were talking, that the, the distribution of time and who was talking, uh, and not just the attending, for example, uh, would, would make teams more psychologically uh, safe and thus more able to be productive. It's some, it's some brilliant stuff, really. I've, I've learned so much from that. Excellent. So, uh, continuing with the the letters there, Richard. Um, okay. Yeah, so enhance, and then the next one is note. Uh, and, and this one is really about us looking at the, uh, what we can see from the learners and what they tell us about how they're doing today. Um, and our, our goal is to is just really get a check-in on where they are in, in their mind and being on that day. Sometimes we, we would just ask them, hey, where are you on a scale of one to five? Uh, one being low and five being high, like as in uh, ratings on iTunes. Uh, and and what's interesting is that when you map those out over over a month, sometimes someone would say they may only go down by a five to a four, or depending how nerdy they are, a five to a four point seven. Sometimes even those little little dips there um, can can alert you and the whole team that, that maybe they're they're having a hard day today. Um, there, there are others we we do. Um, that are also about wellness, but also just, just if, if it's a hard day, hey, what's bugging you today? Either clinically about a patient or, or sometimes even things like, hey, what do you wish you could have a do-over on? Um, so, so those would be some ways to just check in with them on, on how they're doing. Uh, and again, this one is focused on, on their wellness and where they are that day. And, and in terms of applying that in the, the teaching environment, do you, do you just sort of have a habit of as you show up in the morning, you, you just point at everyone and say, give me a number where you are, I mean, so that it becomes the culture of your teams, or is there another point at which you insert that? Uh, yes, that, that, that's the, they, they come to expect what I, they call the culture question or the check-in each day, and, and the kind of motto or theme is, you know, taking great care of patients by taking good care of us, and so, you know, we show up, I'll, I'll, you know, usually for, hey, is anybody sick we need to worry about right now? Uh, sometimes we'll do just you know just sort of okay now where are we all and I and, and I I found that when I ask permission from the resident to to jump in on this that it gets more buy-in. Um. Excellent. And um, Stacy, do you want to tackle the next three letters in the acronym? Enhance. 
So that would be uh, sure. N, C, and sure. E. Uh-huh. So, I'm sorry, say that last part again? Oh, I'm sorry. It's oh, I think we, I think we need to do H and A. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm a I little... tackle H and A if you'd like. Sure. Yeah, that would, <laughs> that would be great. It shows you how good I am with the alphabet and my technology. <laughs> <laughs> but see, since, you, since our learning climate is so good, you felt comfortable telling us that. <laughs> yes, there you go. Um, <laughs> Uh, but this is a great segue from what Richard was just saying because, um, you know, if you're walking in every day and you're seeing your team and um, as soon as you walk in, you say, um, hey, guys, how's everybody doing this morning? Um, you know, on a scale of one to five, guys, I am a 4.3 because my son just started high school today and I am internally losing my mind right now about that. And then the team sort of laughs and we talk about it and then we go around the room. But if you're doing this every single day, um, what happens is there will be things that you'll find out that just wouldn't have come up in idle conversation. Um, So the H is to hear what is not being said, but also what is being said. Um, And to make sure you remember what was said, right? So if I say, what are you on a scale of one to five today? And you say, I am a five. My sister is landing today at 5 p.m. She will be waiting at my apartment when I get home, and I have not seen her in two years because she's been deployed. Well, you know, that that might adjust what I do that day with you. That might um, lead to further questions the next time I see you. And so um, the next letter, A, adjust the day in response to the climate when needed. So if it was a particularly not-so-busy day, and I know your sister who had been deployed for two years is back in town to see you, hey, that might be a day where that learner, I might try to um, work to get them out a little bit earlier. But if a learner tells me that my baby is at, um, I got a call from daycare, my child has a low-grade fever, and they said she has a little bit of loose stools, and I'm worrying about her, um, I might make an adjustment there. Or if a learner says, I'm really tired, I just realize that I'm, I'm struggling to kind of keep up with all of my notes or something like that, then I may, we may, the team may decide to make some adjustments to the workload um, on that particular day. So there are things that we have to um, hear that people are saying, um, and then we can make adjustments. The part about what's not being said, I just want to not forget to say that, is that um, sometimes, you know, I, someone will say, um, someone who's been a 4.9 every day comes in and says there are four and you say why and they just kind of shrug and say mm, it's just been a yeah, it's just a lot going on right now that might be a note to self that maybe there's something personal happening with this individual that shouldn't be unpacked in front of the whole team but um, as the leader of the team and as you're attending um, I want to note that and then when we're one-on-one I can check in with you and many many times just that little subtle thing has um, alerted me to something very important happening with someone, a death in the family, um, illness, uh, all sorts of things, um, just from this little act of a daily check-in. And you thought when you said four that I wasn't paying attention to how different it is than what you normally say. You thought it was something that would not put me on your trail. Um, But instead, it alerted me to something that maybe you didn't want, didn't think you could say. Paul, can I interject one thing? Absolutely. Um, with that intention of hearing, one of the rules, and it's funny, each time I'll, I'll, ask, or I'll ask the question each work month, and somebody will go ahead and start blurting out their answer. I'll say, wait, nobody answers until everybody has an answer. 
so that you can all listen to each other. Um, and and and, uh, and again, that's the whole part of hearing because you know, unfortunately, sometimes conversation is waiting for your turn to talk. Uh, this instead is that we're going to get our, all get our answers, and sometimes I'll even deploy them early. We're waiting at an elevator. Hey, y'all, the culture question of the day is, uh, and then we'll come back to it later. But but really, just making sure everybody's ready to listen uh, when it's someone else's turn. That's it. And it's good for them to know that our days are not always perfect days. Um, so. Um, particularly on days when um, I'm struggling in some way, um, just so that they can feel safe being not perfect, you know, too. Uh, I come in and I talk about what I'm scared about. I come in and talk about what I'm worried about. I'll say, you know, I'm preparing a packet for promotion right now, and I'm super scared, and I feel like my imposter syndrome is, like, on 10 right now. And so I'm just feeling a little bit anxious today. So, guys, I'm probably... I'm like a 3.9 right now, and I just hope that us being together will bring me up some. And them hearing their attending physician say they're worried about whether or not they'll measure up is powerful. And and I have to imagine that your emphasis on that hearing one another has to carry over to better listening to patients, right? Is that anecdotally, have you had any of your learners comment on that? I think we see it. I think we, when you go to the bedside and you have already modeled that behavior with the team alone, you learn that listening can really get you further. Um, And you learn, because as internists, we've been shown over and over that we can't, we don't listen very well, we interject because things aren't being told to us fast enough. And this is really just practicing that skill of listening to others and then learning from what you have heard, um, whether that's a patient or a fellow team member. Um, So I, I do, I agree, I think it leads to better patient care as well. It just seems like a role modeling this with each other would go a long ways in role modeling at the bedside as well. So, so um, Stacy, you want to take the N, C, and E or any, any, any portion thereof that you'd like to talk about? Sure. Um, so the N is for needs. And I think um, what Kimberly was just talking about um, really embodies that in that they get to see what our needs are as attendings in addition to us hearing what their needs are. And I think it really humanizes us to help them to see that, hey, my schedule is crazy busy today, and so I have particular needs that I need to take care of this afternoon, and that's going to change the way that this day may go um, so that we're not Sometimes I've had workers say, so what do you do when you're not with me? (laughs) It's like, not like a toddler. I disappear when I'm not in front of you. And so helping them to understand that each of us have responsibilities and that we as faculty have needs that we need to attend to, but also allowing us to check in with the learner and them telling us, you know, I haven't had the opportunity to exercise for this many days and that's something that's really important to me and figuring out ways to be able to attend to those needs so that not only are the patients taken care of, but the team is taken care of as well. Um, The C is for check-in and recognizing that if you have done these things early in the day and you've seen where's your team on a scale of one to five, what are the needs, uh, making adjustments, that may change over the course of the day. 
And so maybe my sister who was coming in on a flight after not seeing her for the last couple of years, her flight was delayed. So it's not so urgent for me to get out at five. So maybe we can do a short teaching session because she's not going to be home until seven. Or maybe she's coming in earlier. So just checking in with the team to see what changes have happened over the course of the day um, so that you can see where people are. They may have started at a five and then something happened and they dropped down to a four or three. So just doing um, regular check-ins as the day proceeds. And then also when they have some time off and then when they come back, not starting with, well, this is what happened at work when you were gone, but really starting with, how was your day off? What did you do? What was fun? What, did, what didn't you have a chance to do that you're going to do on your next day off? Um, and so checking in with them to see that they're a whole person and not just someone that exists when they're at work. And then the last E um, is explore. Um, and this kind of ties back in with the, the first E of engaging learners with things outside of work, but really exploring some meaningful things that are happening outside of the hospital and recognizing that um, you, you can get kind of tied down or bogged down and thinking that everything that's happening within the four walls of the building you're working in is everything that's happening. But there are so many things that are happening in the world that are affecting us that we bring in with us when we come to work. And whether that's political things, social things, something that you've read in the, in the newspaper that morning or hearing on the news on your drive into work and how that may affect your mood and your ability to care for your patients for that day and being able in that safe environment, in that safe learning space, um, to be able to unpack some of that. And um, examples of that in the past have been um, when there was the Orlando nightclub shooting and really unpacking that and seeing how people have, were affected by that. Or more recently, um, the El Paso shootings and seeing for people who have relatives or friends or come from Texas or have been affected by gun violence in other ways and seeing how that might affect what they're doing for that particular day. And so it really just gives the space for people to engage and talk about those things. And it could be that people just want to have a, a moment of silence to really reflect on their own. They may not want to say anything out loud. So just um, allowing people to do that in whatever way they feel most comfortable. And I, and I guess one of the questions I have for you, you know, again, this is speaking from my background of doing a lot of inpatient wards throughout the year, is how much time, I think, uh, to our listeners in our podcast audience, they're going to be wondering how much time this takes. Because if you start talking about some of the, you know, very painful uh, current events that are happening how much time do you allow? How do you balance that with the need to go see all your patients and have the students present and all those other important things in their learning experience on the wards or in the clinics for that matter? Any Anybody? Uh, <laughs> I we all, well, we're looking all at each other to see who's going to say something first. But, um, you know, I, I think a good way to look at it is um, to think about the time you lose. Um, with someone lost in thought and disconnected from, from the work that needs to be done. Um, the, 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 um, what you lose when, um, when someone turned on their TV on a Saturday morning and saw people marching with tiki torches and a big long line um, across 
the campus of a major university with swastikas, right? Um, but that happened on Saturday, that we're rounding on Sunday morning. Um, but now you want me to pay attention to your teachable moment on acid-based disturbance. Um, you know, I would say instead of thinking about how much time it takes, um, I, I would say just think about what you lose um, by people who aren't plugged in or who don't want to be there. So concretely, I would say um, when I do the morning check-in, that process, it probably takes no more than about five minutes. We do it fairly quickly. Sometimes if we aren't really busy, we can stretch it out to 10 minutes if we ask more questions. But for the most part, it's it's really quick. We'll, we even just point. We're like, one to five, where you at? And people kind of have one line or spot. But sometimes we have a little more time to, to unpack it more. But when things are, when current events are happening and they are important and they are pivotal, um, the time that it takes, I think, is worth it. Um, I think to honor, especially when there's loss involved or a tragedy, um, I think um, it actually, I think, tunes people in to be more empathic toward our patients um, and, and to into just walk into the day more humanistic than to sort of ignore this glaring thing that's looming over the day. And, and I will say also recognizing um, that, and, I, and I'll just say this is me, by putting my diversity, equity, and inclusion hat on, that there are things that deeply affect some people um, to which others are indifferent. And I think um, these moments, it gives an opportunity for someone to look at their, their um, team member and say, whoa, you know, you are really in pain from what happened here. Whoa, um, what happened in Pulse nightclub, my goodness, I just thought of this as one thing, but I didn't think about this as your community um, and how you feel and how afraid you feel now. And then perhaps, you know, moments later, what if we step into the room of a patient um, who is same gender loving and who is in the hospital and is, you know, needing our care, perhaps that learner that heard um, how another learner was responding to something that happened in a current event, it might change the way that they respond to a patient. Um, so it's not as time consuming as you think, and a lot of this is also happening on the fly, isn't at the elevator, um, while we're, you know, um, one room, the patient left and left the ER and is now on the way back up, so as we're walking, we're talking to that's a lot of time for us too i think also the the more that you do it with your team the more pride they are yeah. and that it, it doesn't take as long as you would think mm -hmm. um because they're anticipating oh okay dr pippen's gonna do a one to five check-in where am i and they're already thinking about that ahead of time and are ready to share that with the group um some of the the questions also like where's your favorite place to eat or what's the last movie you've seen? You can send those out ahead of time over your, your team group text and have them, oh, the question of the day is going to be this. When we are going from one place to the other, let's think about what you're going to share with the team today. Um, and so there are, there are sort of um, short ways to get this in. And it's really, you don't have to do all of the enhance every day, right? The goal is not to pick every six, all of these six things to do on a daily basis. It's really about building this over the time that you have with your team and picking particular things um, on that day to build on. And yeah, I think it's a really key. I mean, I'm very transparent with the team. Here's why I'm doing this, and I really talk about psychological safety. Actually, there's another article that's in our slide set that I've learned so much from, and it's a New England Journal series on teamwork, and it's the second article. Uh, on that, and 
and it's just really lovely. And I say, look, you know, I want to. How crazy is it that all of us really smart, you know, people that don't know each other at all are now thrust together to to and to be like function like a team with very little time together. And I just say this is one of the ways to to get us to know each other better. Uh, and so really, I guess going for that buy-in. There's certainly times where people. You know, maybe aren't having it as much, and, and for them, I'm, you know, I, I try to just give people space to be where they are. Um, but especially with the resident, you know, with whom I think probably feels the most time pressure for managing everything, is just trying to negotiate with them about what the best time of day it is uh, to do it. And what's fascinating is there'll be teams where often I'll work in a two-week block, and then if it's the first half of the month, it's always fun to hear. Hey, so and so continued the culture questions after you were gone, and it's like I'm like, yeah, that's cool. I will just um, tag on to what Richard said about that New England Journal article, but in thinking about um, how much time it takes, that article showed that when you have psychological safety, there are less errors that occur because the team is willing to say to you, I have a question about this, or I think I did something wrong. Um, and so it, it actually saves time and it, and it reduces the number of errors because patients are cared for in a better way. And just out of curiosity, um, who decides what the question of the day is going to be? Do you sometimes defer that to the resident, or is it always one of you that's uh, the attending? That's a great question. So it actually becomes a competition, and so somebody will say they have a question, and then I, I'll, at first, jokingly, I'll reject it. Um, <laughs> and, then, uh, and then one of the culture questions sometimes is just like, okay, what do you want to know? For, what's your culture question? Uh, but yeah, sometimes I just will defer that to them if they have one, and that's usually a sign of really high buy-in by the team. So I usually start them, and, and if it gets going on its own, I still reserve the right to reject it. Actually, sometimes <laughs> I don't even, and again, in terms of what Stacey was just saying, in terms of having, deciding what to ask in the day, sometimes I say, I don't know what my culture question is, let me look at you all in the faces first, and then and then the question will come from that, and sometimes nothing comes, but... I admit that my, I usually bring our question, our prime, but I think it's kind of like, um, I feel like um, like some really favorite auntie coming bearing gifts because I don't think they, they almost want to see what I'm going to say uh, because um, I usually have texted my resident when I'm on the way up and say, is anybody sick? Is there anything emergent happening? I know where things are in terms of the patient care. So when I come busting through the door, I'll usually say something like, okay, Let's talk about deliciousness. What was the last absolutely delicious thing you ate in Atlanta? It cannot be all right. I need details. And now, you know, someone will be like, oh, I ate some blueberries. I'm like, okay, we're going to come back to you. I did not expect blueberries. <laughs> last deliciousness. And, um, but, but it ends up actually a lot, um, a lot can come from food in terms of our culture. Um, you know, if someone's on the team and they describe, you know, a food that I've never heard of and they'll say, oh, wow. No, this is a Vietnamese delicacy. This is, you know, gosh, this is like my bread and butter. I grew up eating this every day. And then we ask more about it. And then we might decide our team dinner is going to be at the Vietnamese restaurant where you have that, right? And then the learner on our team um, who is of Vietnamese descent may kind of guide us through what this is. And it, again, enhances us, um, you know, as providers and also as team members to make us more culturally competent. And it just kind of comes out of it. We do music, um, what's playing on your mental iPod right now. Um, sometimes um, if they're seeming particularly bored with my culture questions, I'll come in and say, I have them write on a um, write in one word what they're feeling like today. 
and just write it on a piece of paper, ball it up and put it in the middle. And then I'll take all the balled up papers and I'll say, oh, somebody on this team feels blank. Somebody on this team feels blank. And I won't say who it is. Um, so operate in this day knowing that these are, this is where your team members are right now. Um, Cause that's another, um, I actually find out a lot that way too. And I don't even really try to predict who it is. Usually the person who has the most alarming word will come to me one-on-one. So um, we just get really creative. Um, if you have a, a really, uh, a, per, a resident who's really all into this, they will, they will, they might beat you to the punch and I, I'm happy to step aside. And do you guys have a, like, I, you know, I saw some of the questions you ask in the slide set, but do, have you guys sort of, put your heads together and come up with a list of different sort of conversation starters in the morning or, you know, for that E, the engage part? So I will say I always love hearing about food. Um, <laughs> I love to hear about other places to eat in the city of Atlanta. So that a lot of my questions center around food. And then the other thing that a lot of my questions center around are, um, movies which is my other love so i want to hear what people are watching and whether if they're streaming it or they're going to see a movie so a lot of my questions go in that direction uh, i see so introducing some personal preferences yes. is not a bad yes. thing i guess okay i think this is really the formal i mean this is the most gathering of the list that we've done in the in our card because usually it's Kim or I coming to each other saying, Kimberly and I coming to each other and saying, hey, this is what I just asked the team. They really liked it or they hated this one. You know? And so there's a lot of just sort of uh, talking about it that way. So, so I guess one of the questions I have then is, um, so Richard, you mentioned that you love it when um, it continues after you've gone off service. Yeah. So you sort of left the mark and, and it's maybe built into the culture of that team. But what is the buy-in from... Uh, particularly in internal medicine at Emory with the faculty there about this approach, the engage and, and, and all that it encompasses. I think people are, are becoming more aware of just, I mean, I think more generally just the importance of the learning climate and, and how, um, you know, we're not, um, we're not, we are not, uh, possessors of data that we have to transmit to learners like computers would, but it is really more like how are we growing these plants that we want to be working with, and and so setting the right you know environment for them to learn is really what's what's really important. Um, we have shared uh, with with our faculty these cards, and um, and actually we just had a collaborative session with our division uh, at at our city hospital Grady where we asked people, what do you do to try to impact the learning climate? And a lot of these ideas were coming out by other people. Um, I think the fear that I have is I don't want people to just think, Oh, that's their thing that they do with their team, their signature move, but more as something, Hey, look, this is just a tool we hope everyone will, will use. And so I think that's, that's really the message we're trying to send It's not, this is not our signature move. Don't copy it, but more like, Hey, please use as much of this as you can. But I think people are, again, are in, in fact, there's a, there's a faculty member who well, won't say their name, but when I think about someone who might be resistant to ideas like this, that they're touchy-feely or a waste of time and they're not hard clinical stuff, uh, that person actually came to me after watching me on rounds one time and said, you know what, I really like that. I'm going to start checking in on people's best and worst moment after call. And, uh, and I was so happy to see that, that uh, I had possibly changed his mind. Isn't that fascinating the way somebody watching you out of the corner of their eye 
on rounds could actually impact them in that way. It's like seeing it in real life versus talking about it in a, you know, in a slide deck or whatever, a faculty development course. Yep. I, I think the other thing that, um, is sort of not soft at all, but that people want to hear is that it does affect the evaluations that learners give to faculty. And so showing faculty who maybe don't buy in that this is important, that people who set nice, great learning climates get great evaluations and really just pulling out comments about the learning climate from those evaluations helps to show those who don't buy in, that this is really important for the learner, um, and it helps them to perform better. So I noticed those in the uh, in the slides from the AIM workshop. Uh, so you actually show your faculty there when you're doing faculty development with them or presenting at a division meeting. You show them some of these comments, then it sounds like. Yeah, and we noticed that these comments, um, the comments that... Um, tend to say the strongest declaration about the, um, the attending. Um, things like, um, this doctor was the best attending I ever had. They're, all, they're always juxtaposed to a statement about the climate, about what the, what the person did to maintain a, an effective learning climate. Um, sometimes they know the language to use, but sometimes they're just describing, you know, a clinical learning environment. and. Um, I, I just feel like one of the things we we are just trying to to spread at Emory and beyond is to just get people to be intentional, you know, not just to show up to a team and say, did I luck out and have all the personalities just click and I'm lucky, um, or um, can I have any team and um, through a little bit of effort and thought um, create a space where everybody is is um, giving their best and feeling like they want to be there. And I, I just think that since we, uh, you know, all of us have started talking about this more and I've become more intentional as I walk into each team, um, I'm, seeing, I, I'm walking away from more teams like that team was my favorite. Whereas before, I would just get a team and I would just feel like I was at the mercy of the chief residents to see you know, how they would, you know, what hand they would deal to me. Um, and it isn't really that we, we know that when we have, you know, if you've worked hard and made it into medical school and into a residency, you know, the chances are that um, most of the things that stand in the way of a team working well are just kind of personality things and system things and learning climate things that um, we believe that clinician educators and team leaders and residents can, that, that, is, that is a shift they can turn around and they can guide and sail it. Um, a lot more than we realize. It's not just a chance thing. So um, we're kind of up against the hour here, and I wanted to see if you guys had any last thoughts about your workshop, take-home points that you'd want our listeners to remember going forward in their own endeavors to be effective teachers. Well, one is we're more than happy to share the link to our um, enhanced cards. Um, I imagine that um, if there's some, you know, web-based um, way that people are connecting to this, uh, we certainly are happy to share that. So that that's just one thing I wanted to say first. In podcast parlance, that means in the show notes, Paul. Does that mean um, I have to have a website or something? I don't know. <laughs> uh -oh. 
Um, I think I think, and you you really said this well. Is that you know this really is about listening, and and you you only listen if you think someone else has something to tell you. And I th- I think that basically to me a growing awareness that like I, I know a good bit of stuff, but there are really smart people on my team, and the more I can be open to listening to them and giving them space, I think we're all gonna flourish more and kind of be able to bring our own humanity and interest uh, to the team and sort of not just compartmentalize that to outside of work where I'm longing for my day off where I can be who I am. And, and really, I think that's been a part of my own journey to survive uh, as a as an academic clinician as well. It's just that I, hey, I've got to bring who I am to work there. And, and so it's been fun to kind of get to share that and learn from others as they do it. So I'd really also love to hear other people's questions they're asking. asking. So in the response tool associated with the show notes, Paul, <laughs> I'd love to hear other people's ideas. Put a lot of pressure on you. <laughs> um, I was going to say that um, you know the, the climate can really just exist in the background if you don't pay attention to it and so really bringing it to the foreground recognizing that it can affect everything else that is going on um, is really the first step and, and recognizing and understanding why people are where they are um, and their thoughts around how their day is going can really uh, influence the entire learning climate um, what I'll say, uh, since um, I have been thinking a lot uh, about Toni Morrison since um, she passed away last week, um, I think in keeping with what one of the things that Richard's been talking about, which is listening and how we respond to people, um, one of my favorite things that Toni Morrison, the author, um, the iconic Nobel laureate mm-hmm. author, to those listening who may not know who she is, um, Tony Morrison um, said that, um, talked about when, how people feel validated and how they feel like they matter and how we respond to them. And what she said um, was in response to how she sees her children every day. She asked this question, does your face light up when they walk into the room? And um, instead of looking to see if their hair is smooth or their clothes are buttoned, um, Take a moment to demonstrate with the look on your face and with your body language that you're happy to see them and that you're happy that they're there. And um, I think that these questions are really um, just a little stretch of that. Um, it's an opportunity for our faces to light up when learners come into the room. We are happy that you are here. We are glad to teach you. It is an honor and a privilege to care for patients beside you, to learn from you, to learn with you, to teach you. And um, I, I, I find myself thinking about that a lot when people are sharing with me where they are in a day. But also when I first step in the room, I want them to know um, that I'm really, really glad to be there. And sometimes it does call for me to shadow box outside the room and get myself right for that. But um, sometimes it just takes me telling them that today maybe is not my favorite day and here's why. And then after I listen to them too, and we practice receiving each other um, fully and paying attention to each other, I think it just gets us all ready to go and pour ourselves um, into these patients. Because it's a really selfless job to go and work, especially in a safety net hospital where there's just so much happening. Um, we just have to start with a little bit of self-care. Wow. Well, all I can tell you is after talking to you three, I realize I have a lot of work to do. 
on, on my on my teaching at, at least in this realm uh, in terms of improving what I'm doing but it's it's just been so great to uh, hear your thoughts about your workshop and again I, I wish I had been there but um, perhaps I'll have to come to Emory and hear it when you do it there for your own faculty it was I, yeah, I really. Oh yeah, I really want to. If you were on our team, though, we wouldn't let you leave with a self-deprecating <laughs> statement. So our other favorite statement comes from my previously six-year-old, now fourteen-year-old son, which is, "Yay, me doesn't mean boo you." <laughs> and what that means is, we can tell you all this cool stuff, but it doesn't mean you have work to do. It just, it's just a way for us to enhance each other more. That's a great way to look at it. Thank you, Kimberly. Well, Richard, Kimberly, and Stacy, I want to take this opportunity to thank all three of you. I think that I know that our um, listeners, uh, particularly AIM members, whether they be clerkship directors or program directors or uh, core faculty, are going to really get some great ideas from your workshop. And um, I really appreciate the time you guys took, and I hope that I haven't kept you from any place you needed to be, uh, particularly if it involves meeting with your learners and teaching or taking care of your patients. Thank you so much, Paul, for inviting us to do this. It's really an honor. And there you have it, the first uh, AIM workshop interview that I've done, and hopefully there'll be more to come after this one. I have our next interviewee lined up, and I'll be interviewing him in the next couple of weeks, and I'll get that podcast posted as soon as that recording is done. I'm not going to tell you what it is or who it is, but I will tell you it was a highly rated AIM workshop in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, just as the one that I just uh, carried out was. Uh, I hope you learned and enjoyed this as much as I did, and I hope that you have a great week and go out there and teach.